0: again today and um, again like we like we said welcome to all of the guests all the new faces that we see welcome to all the old faces we see welcome to all the middle-aged faces we see young faces we see welcome to all the faces we love all the faces and again we're excited about next week and Easter I love celebrating Easter I love the message of of the resurrection and the empty tomb and everything that it means to us I, I think Easter is kind of it's the, the irreducible minimum. It is the one thing about Christian faith that you have to get, you have to hold on to, you have to wrap your mind and your, your heart around. Uh, and, and so I, I love that, you know, I love celebrating Easter. I love everything that it means to us and everything that it means for us. So make sure that you, you plan to come back next week and join us. Make sure that you bring somebody. Uh, one more time, can I hear a good amen? But since we're going to be talking about Easter and the resurrection next week, this week I kind of wanted to back it up and, and talk about the event obviously before Easter in the story of Jesus, in the Bible narrative, the gospel narratives. And, and I wanted to talk about the cross and what the cross means for us and, and how the cross works even because sometimes I think we kind of can miss that. And, and I grew up in church. I haven't missed very many very many Sundays in my life. And, and uh, if you've been in church or been a Christian for any... Uh, length of time, you know, you you probably know, you've probably heard, and we still say around here, things like, you know, King Jesus, right? We say Jesus is king. Well, I do. The rest of y'all, I'm praying for you. We say Jesus is victorious. We say Jesus won it all. We say Jesus triumphed. We say Jesus is our champion. Yes. Mm. Y'all are waiting for me to get warmed up. I'm already preaching. Here we go. But we say all of these things. But usually, if we're honest, when we talk about Jesus being the champion and, and Jesus being victorious, really, a lot of times, we have the empty tomb in mind. Right? We think about Easter, and that's why we say Jesus is victorious. We think about the resurrection, and that's how we can say, well, yeah, Jesus triumphed. and, and you know he... But really, when you read through the New Testament like especially the writings of Paul because he wrote over half the New Testament, it kind of can mess with our minds sometimes when we bump up against scriptures like this in Colossians 2.15, talking about Jesus, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the the cross. Wait, no, 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 I thought he triumphed when he got up. I thought he triumphed when he resurrected and and to be sure the resurrection and the cross do kind of go hand in hand, you know, they're, they're, they're linked together for sure. But we, we run into things like this and it kind of messes, with kind of these, you know, we don't really say out loud that, you know, he didn't win until he got up, but it's just kind of there, right? And, and we re, when we read the story of Jesus and, and his last night and and his arrest and being in the garden and all of these things, we see, like, the Jewish leaders coming against him and and, and the, the palace guard or the, the temple guard that came with him, and, and we see him going up against Rome. And if we're going to say that that's when Jesus won, if we were writing that story, we might want to say, you know, like, think of... Well, that's the moment. If Jesus is going to win, then what he's going to have to do is, right, like split the sky open, and, and a sea of angels is going to come down with flaming swords, and with all of the, the special effects and everything in entertainment today, you can kind of get a mental picture of what that might look like if Jesus wins at that moment, right? That's how Jesus wins with the, the army of the angels, and they're flying, darting here and there in the air, and chopping people in half, and all this kind of stuff, and blood is flowing, and everybody falls, and then in the final scene, you know, Jesus kind of puts his foot up on the last guy and raises his sword in the air and shouts out, freedom, or something like that, right? right? If we're writing the story, that's how we might picture Jesus winning. But then when we look at the actual story and Jesus talking with the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, and and the, the leaders of Rome, who was the world power at the time, What we see is Jesus falsely accused, accused of something he didn't even do, and yet he stays silent. He doesn't defend himself. We see him coming before, you know, the, the high priest, and there's a little back and forth or a little, you know, conversation and, and some stuff said about it. It doesn't say anything. They turn around and give him over to the Romans because they want the Romans to kill him because they can't really kill him, but they want to make sure that he gets killed. So they make up a charge. He's trying to overthrow Caesar, trying to start a rebellion, Pilate. And so Pilate was the local governor of Rome in, in Jerusalem at that, in Israel at that time. And, and so Pilate, you need to crucify him, and Pilate gets Jesus in front of him, and And there's even this little back and forth where Pilate asks him, you know, they're saying that you're claiming to be a king. Are you really a king? And there's this interesting thing where Jesus says, well, you know, my kingdom, you know, is not really what you might expect with your ideas of what kings and kingdoms are and what kings and kingdoms do. You're looking for me to be the kind of king and to have the kind of kingdom that you have. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, I have a completely different kind of kingdom or else my people would be fighting your people because that's how kingdoms clash. That's how kings clash. That's how you win. you got to kill somebody in battle, and that's how you gain the victory. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus says, I'm a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom, and this is a truth that I've come to show you. And Pilate looks at him, standing here falsely accused and is about to die because he won't speak up for himself, and he says, what's truth? Truth doesn't even enter the equation. I know, I think I know what the truth is about you, and I'm about to completely ignore it and kill you anyway. What is truth? And he sends Jesus away to be crucified, and Rome flexes its power through those Roman soldiers, and they lead Jesus away, and they whip him, and they spit on Jesus, and they blindfold Jesus, and they take sticks and whack him on the head with the sticks while he's blindfolded, and they say, if you're really a prophet, tell us who it was that just hit you. And they mock him and they laugh at him. They whip him with the cat of nine tails and it, it, that, that thing sticks into his back with all of the glass and bone and metal and then they rip it out and his back is literally ripped to shreds and ribbons of skin. And then they take him outside and they lead him up the hill and then they nail Jesus to the cross. And what's interesting to me is that Pilate at that point does something pretty significant. Pilate says, hey, I'm gonna write out this sign and I want you to put this sign above his head and he writes out king of the jews and what he is saying is look we are rome we are the world power we rule everything we run the show right now and if you're gonna have a rebellion against rome you better bring more than this if this is all you got we'll do this and do this again In fact, if you've ever heard of Spartacus, about 100 years before Jesus, Rome had put down another rebellion of Spartacus and that army, and along the Appian Way in Rome, they crucified, I think it was something like 6,000 men along this, this stretch of road, and when you work out the distance and the amount of people that they crucified, it's like Rome crucified one person every 100 feet, From this wall right here to about the doors leaving, there would be a person crucified and a person crucified along a stretch of road 6,000 times over. Because that's what Rome did best. Rome flexed its power. And if you are going to start your own kingdom and you're going to come up against our king, you better have something more to this. And to the Jews that were there, this was a scandal. This was something that they did not want to be associated with. To Pilate, it was foolish. Pilate was a non-Jew. Pilate was a Gentile. To him, it was silly that this man would claim to be the king of the Jews. To the Jews, it was a scandal. No, no, no. We don't want him to be our king. We don't claim him as our king. In fact, Pilate, take the sign down. And Pilate looked at him, and he said, what I have written, I've already written it. And he leaves the sign up, and Jesus dies. And when Jesus dies, all of his followers leave, and they go home. And they leave him abandoned on the cross because they thought what everybody else thought. That when you die, it means you lost. When you die, the movement was over. You do not win when you die. But then in a matter of days, in a matter of days, his followers start re-examining the story. And over the years of that early church movement, they look back at the events that happened all around that time, and they look at the cross, and then they look at an empty tomb, and they say, you know, and then they look back at the cross, and they say, no, no, it was then, it was that moment, when we see Jesus on the cross, that was when Jesus won. Jesus on the cross, that's when he made a public spectacle of the enemies. That's when he triumphed over them, and it was on the cross. but Man, how did he win on the cross? How does that work? Because it sure seems like he lost. Isn't it better to say that the victory happened after the cross, right? Like Easter Jesus, that's our king. Crucified Jesus is nice. Easter Jesus is better. That's our king. That's when he won, right? I won't look so silly. I'd rather kind of agree with those Jews a little bit, right? I don't want him called king when he's on the cross. I want him called king after he comes out of the tomb. And especially Paul, probably the greatest writer of the early Jesus movement. He keeps just messing with our theology throughout the New Testament. He tells one time the people in Galatia, the followers of Jesus in Galatia, look, may I never boast except in the the cross. May I never boast except in the cross. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, if you're going to brag about your king, if you're going to brag about your ruler, the one that you think is going to put the world to rights, the one thing that you get, the one thing that you brag about, the one thing that you tell everybody everybody about, when you tell everybody that he is your king, you point to the cross. But Paul, that seems a little silly. That seems like... The day he lost, that seems like when he gave up, that's when he surrendered. It feels a little foolish to claim victory on the cross, and to which Paul would smack us upside the back of our heads again. He said, yeah, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, right? Ooh, burn. Paul just got us, right? But to us who are being saved, is it going to go bump, 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 bump? Bump, 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 bump. But to us, sorry for that, that's my fault, not Zach's. But to us who are being saved, the cross, the cross, not the empty tomb, the cross is the power of God. But the cross looks like God's weakness, it doesn't look like God's power. The cross does not look like the victory. The cross looks like God lost. And then in 2018 America, we're a little bit hesitant to claim Jesus is the king of anything anyway. We live in a democracy, in a republic, right? And, and we don't have monarchs. We don't have kings and queens. And honestly, that feels a little outdated, a little outmoded. So I don't know if I really want to call Jesus my king anyway. Not to mention, when I look out the window and when I look on Facebook, it doesn't look like he's king of anything at all. I look at this world, and it doesn't look like he's running anybody's show. I don't see Jesus in the places of power, in the palaces of power, in any country. All over our world, it doesn't seem like Jesus is present as the king, right? Can I hear an amen from anybody that's following me? I mean, there was, you know, that picture of Trump that was circulating around Facebook the other week that showed him hugging Jesus. Maybe that's, you know, whatever you believe about that, but... You know, we, we look on social media, we look at the world around us, we, we listen to the news, we watch the news, everything going on, and it doesn't look like Jesus is king. It doesn't look very much like Jesus won. It seems like Christian values are under attack from every angle. seems like following Jesus and faith is under attack everywhere. It seems there's this narrative in our society that like intellect has triumphed over faith, Right? Like science is better than religion, as though the two can't coexist, as though the God of the religion did not create the science that governs the world. There's just this idea in our society, and it's just kind of like below the surface. So maybe no one would be so arrogant as to say this out loud, but there's just this idea that to be a person of science is better than to try and be a saint. After all, we're living in the age of enlightenment. This is the day of me, the age of me. We're intelligent now. We don't need to believe in fairy tales anymore. We don't need to be burdened down by all of these pesky social constructs. We are free. We know more now. We don't need the fables of the past. We're no longer bound by all of these things like marriage. We're no longer bound by these things like marital covenants. We're not even bound anymore by the ideas of of gender. Or sexual orientation, monogamy, and marriage, just so, so old fashioned. You can live through your life and have multiple meaning relationships. In fact, if homes are so great, why don't you have two or three during your lifetime? We know more now. It's getting tight in here. Woo! Getting a little uncomfortable in here now, isn't it? Homes and families, and one home and one family. It's just so old-fashioned, you know? And, and then there's the technology world. You know, you can 3D print anything you need. And then there's space. We explore space now. We have telescopes that show us the farthest reaches of our galaxy. Come to find out there are billions more galaxies than we even knew about. Man, and we're finding new planets. We think we found a new Earth. No, that wasn't it. There's another new Earth. No, wait, that one's not it. We may have found it. We're just exploring everywhere. Man, we're killing it, right? We're just making things happen. Medicine, medicine is so advanced now. Medicine can easily keep you alive past the point where you want to be alive. Right? We're just so advanced. Come on, somebody say progress. Come on, somebody say progress like you believe it. What do we want? When do we want it? Yesterday, we're working on time travel. (laughs) And if there are any time travelers in the room, I am sorely disappointed at your fixes so far. Think about it. You'll get it later on. But progress. 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 Progress? Progress? Because then there's a shooting at a school and Florida, then there's a shooting at a school in Sandy Hook, then 9-11 happens, and religion isn't as dead as we thought, according to the Pew Research Company, I I, I couldn't believe this, according to Pew Research, 90% of Americans still believe in a God, 90%, From the narrative that's pushed everywhere, it seems like everybody's turning against God, right? Nobody has faith anymore. It turns out that faith in in a creator or the idea of some kind of creator is not as dead as some would have us believe. But most people are fed up with religion. And church, what an opportunity. City Grace, can I just say what an opportunity that 90% might believe in a God, but they're tired of the way that he's been. Oh, let's show them Jesus. Let's show them Jesus, All the pain and all the suffering in the world. All the pain and suffering in our world, America. Record numbers of of homeless and and racial tensions and depression and anxiety. And we keep saying progress. But I'm not so sure that the age of enlightenment is living up to the hype. I'm just not. It doesn't really seem to me like the human condition has uh, has, uh, improved for far too many people. There are far too many people groups that just don't seem like they are really advancing or progressing. Like they're. Medicine is amazing, but medicine does not seem to be accessible to the vast majority of people who need it the most. World hunger. You look at the statistics on world hunger. Then look at the statistics on, on hunger even in America. It will blow your mind and it should break your heart. Here in America, progress progress trying to find a new earth the reason we're trying to find a new earth because we messed up this one and nobody's talking about ideas to make sure that if we did find a new earth tomorrow that we wouldn't repeat the failures of this one all of our tech has put people out of jobs and the new job types being created aren't enough to make up the difference and college was promised to be the, the, you know, the, the, the benefit that everybody needed. And now what we're finding out in this generation is college is actually hurting the people that are graduating from it. Because so many people have degrees. The degrees themselves aren't as special anymore. And by the way, you borrowed a ton of money to get your degree. And then you get out of school and you can't find a job to pay off your student loans. Or you can't find a job that will pay off enough of your student loans. If I can dive into a little bit of a couple of touchy subjects, transgenderism is on the rise. And what you don't hear anybody talking about is that within the transgender community, according to CDC statistics, 40% of the people in that community end up committing suicide. 40% of transgenders end up committing suicide. And I I, want to hedge my bet and not say all, but the vast majority of the rest are clinically depressed and and facing debilitating anxiety. And there are so many issues wrapped up in it. And they're trying to say it's just one issue that would change everything or this issue that would change everything. And it's not. It is complex. And it is deep. And it gets down to the the, the fiber of of soul and identity and who we are and who we are. We're made to be touching on another touchy subject. The Center for Disease Control statistics say roughly 2% of Americans belong to the LGBT community. 2%! And it feels like so much more. But listen to these statistics. This is heartbreaking. Of those 2%, or rather every year, of all of the new HIV infections in America, 73% of new HIV infections each year happen to gay and bisexual men. 73% of all new people getting HIV. And around 22% of new HIV infections happens to heterosexual people with multiple partners. The 4% to 5% big chunk that's left happens to intravenous drug users. And then the less than 1% that's the remainder after that happens from random causes. But really, those old-fashioned ideas, they're, they're, we don't need those anymore? The CDC reports that around 10 to 15% of the LGBT community doesn't even know they have HIV yet. They can't even prevent what they don't think that they have. And then moving on, because everybody's getting uncomfortable now, the tech world, the technology world is so advanced, and, and the internet is just, you know, it's, it's revolutionized everything, and it's brought us so much, and yet there are people that have hijacked the internet and now deliver free pornography to every smartphone in this room, in our cities, in America, this breaks my heart. The average age of exposure to pornography in America is 10 years old. Anybody in here have average kids? No, all your kids are, below, are, are above average, aren't they? Anybody in the room want to be honest this morning? Your kids are in Sunday school. You won't cause them any psychological issues. Anybody have an average kid this morning? You had two of them. You had one average, one below average, but we'll just go on from there. (laughs) Average age of exposure. If your kid is 10 years old, it's probable that your kid has seen pornography already. Since 2005, and the, they've, they've done the research on this, the only thing they can think that happened around 2005 is it's, that's just around the time when pretty much every teen in America got access to a smartphone. Since 2005, teen suicide is up 70%. And the age group and the sector most affected is teenage girls from 15 to 19 years old. Progress. Progress, progress, really? This is where we are. Romantic relationships in America in general reporting less and less long-term happiness. People after multiple relationships becoming just disenchanted with the whole idea of putting themselves out there again. People are becoming increasingly isolated, living a digital life, get home from work, lock the door, close the windows and log on and that's how they live. Single-parent homes in the United States struggling with all of these issues, even more than two-parent homes, and just struggling especially to meet the needs of teens and, and young kids. And I'm telling you, this stuff is uncomfortable to talk about. You should be up here. It's uncomfortable to hear, it's really uncomfortable to say, and I am not condemning the victims of these issues because we all know someone, we all love someone probably that's affected with something or something that I've just talked about this morning. Maybe it's our own story, maybe it's our own past, I don't know, but I'm just thinking out loud. Isn't it time that maybe we put the age of enlightenment on trial? I didn't condemn any one of the statistics I just told you about, but isn't it time to maybe stop and have a conversation about what's going on? Christianity and faith and the values of Jesus Christ have been just judged as, as outdated by this assumed progress in our society for years now. Can we just stop and look at some data, please? We're 40 to 50 years into this new psychological or psychology experiment in America. Just now, like the generation of adults that are steering the nation is a generation that since they were kids has only been presented with this worldview of casting off all of the societal con- constructs and just do whatever makes you feel good, just do whatever makes you happy. We're just now seeing a generation that, is, that has heard this since they were babies, since they were kids. All I'm asking is, how are we doing? Can we stop and question Whether or not we really have seen progress. Whether or not we really are living in an age of enlightenment. Let's back off all the personal issues for a second. Let's talk about America. Come on, somebody say it with me. America, the land of the free since 1865. And it took us another 100 years before we said free and equal. And we are still today suffering the effects from that way of seeing power and of understanding power. That power is leveraged to build one country by the oppression of another people group. America. America. Political abuses, political abusers, even in our advanced society, quickly becoming a, a country in oligarchy, right, where we're ruled by the rich and by the special interest groups. We're supposed to be the world power, yet it seems like every time we try and export our democracy, it doesn't work. We drop bombs on people and then wonder why they don't want to listen to what we have to say. Right? Right? It's like we got somebody in a headlock. We're choking them out and telling them, if you'll just listen to me, things will get better. And it doesn't seem to work. We militarize the rebels that we think we like, and then rebels turn and do rebellious things. They use the guns and the bombs that we gave them to oppress the innocent people around them, and then they'll turn around and they'll point those guns and those bombs right back at us. America, powerful, wise, We know what's up, and we know what you need. So you better listen to us, or we'll kill you. Now look, this is uncomfortable stuff, right? Come on, just like, what, 20, 30 years ago, Reagan gets on TV and says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Trump gets up two years ago and says, we're going to build a wall. Which is it? Do walls work or do walls not work? And y'all right now are wondering which side of the issue I'm on. I'm a chameleon up here. I'm telling you guys, you ain't gonna know. Mm-mm. 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 I don't want email from either side. No. Mm-mm. Politician, Sonia. That's right. We got that. You wanna know whose side I'm on? Jesus' side. You want to know who got the answers? Jesus. You want to know what political party knows how to figure it all out and solve all the problems and feed the hungry and take care of the sick? Come on, somebody that believes in your Jesus. Come on, somebody that knows that Jesus is the only answer. He's the only hope. He's the only way. You wanna know what my thoughts are on the wall? You probably don't, but I got a microphone, so listen. Maybe the problem with the wall, and it's not a solution, but it's a thought. Maybe the problem with the wall is not that we end up keeping the best and brightest out. Maybe there's a different kind of wall altogether that is keeping our best and our brightest in. Maybe America has decided to keep all the good stuff for ourselves. Mm, mm, don't shout out now, come on. Listen to me, when you look at the numbers on global, po- global poverty and global disease and, 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 and global hunger and all of these things, if we doubled how many immigrants we took in, we would not even come close to keeping up with the population increase in the world's poorest and hungriest and most diseased nations. And if we sustained a doubled immigration influx into the country for many years, over time, we would eventually decimate all of our infrastructure here in America. Let me tell you the problem with immigration. Immigration ends up being an invitation to the most educated, the best connected, the wealthiest, and the most motivated of other countries. And so they end up leaving the country where they are needed the most. To come to a place where they're not really needed at all. And the people that don't immigrate are the oldest and the sickest and the less educated. Mm. Maybe if we really wanted to impact the world, we would stop trying to think about bringing more people in. Maybe we would send more of our own people out maybe we would take more of our technology and give it away maybe we would take more of our medicine and give it away maybe we would travel to all of these countries and teach them about manufacturing and food production and all of these things so that the whole world the whole world could be changed think about it why man why didn't somebody come up with this sooner why didn't somebody think of this sooner Like, let's gather some people together like let's talk to them and educate them and bless them then let's work on their souls you know the soul the part of you that's human you know let's work on their soul and turn them into just genuinely beautiful people right let's educate them let's take someone with incredible resources and have them you know tell the group listen I'm going to go with you I'm going to teach you how to do things as you go the parts you haven't figured out yet I'm going to help you out and then you know you can do this and then you know you could give them a speech when they leave right Some yeah i don't know what you would say maybe something like go ye into all the world like how come nobody's ever said that before Come on, somebody. How come no one's ever gathered a group of people and said, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out favor on you. I got tons of resources. Some might even say unlimited resources. I'm going to give it to you and bless you. And then through you, all the rest of the families on the earth will be blessed. How come nobody ever thought about that yet? It's a God idea. It is the answer for this world that God so loved the creation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to transform us, to restore the God image inside each and every one of us, to fix the part of us that are broken and that live for ourselves and that cause injury and pain to those around us. He has forgiven our past and he is changing our future and he is blessing us with wisdom and with peace and even with resources if we'll understand how to use it, but then he doesn't stop there. It's not for you to keep to yourself and it's not for me to keep to myself, but from the position of blessing, from the position of a new life and a new creation, he tells us, go, go, go. Don't stay where you are and keep people out. Don't stay where you are and build walls because you're afraid of everything that's going to happen, but go. And I'm with you always. And I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. And I will guide you. And I will provide for you. But we're smarter now. We're smarter now. We've progressed now. We have answers that people did not have before us right? We're ready to solve all the problems. Hello? Maybe? Do we? Are we? And then through history, we look. Come on, somebody. We've looked. We look back, and we've seen the rise of of Marxism and and monarchism and and tyrannies and communism and socialism. And now, even in our own country, we are seeing cracks in the foundation of capitalism because it's crumbling under the weight of its own greed. But 2,000 years ago, There was a thinker, a man with a brilliant mind who had at first himself measured the world with the same measures that we all use. Measured power by the same way that we all measured power. Measured wisdom by the same way that we all measure wisdom. But he looked at his own world and he saw pain and he began to see even his own religion fall short. And he looked at the way that the Jews had so easily embraced Caesar. And and Paul himself, this brilliant thinker, Paul himself used his religion as a cover to abuse and to arrest and even to have people killed. And Paul celebrated the death of Jesus Christ, who had only ever done good, who had only ever loved the people who this world had deemed unlovable. And Paul began to see in his own time A warning from God coming true, and surely today we can see it coming true for us also. And Paul writes, for it is written that God said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And boy, doesn't that describe what we feel today in America. Frustrated frustrated i thought we had all the answers and it turns out we don't and and then god makes like this this appeal he's calling out all the smart people and he says where is the wise person where is the teacher of the law and we're a nation of laws we love our laws and our legal system and the supreme court laws are what make us better than anybody else but laws have never made one person good all laws do is tell you how low you can go before the rest of us have to step in and do something about it. But laws have never made one person good. And so God asks, where are the teachers of the law? Where are the philosophers of this age? And then Paul asked, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You thought the cross was foolish. Look at your own problems. Look at your own world where you live. But yet we say progress. But we're more depressed and confused than ever. There's more hate and abuse of power in our country seemingly than ever. So much ideological division. And, and we just we wonder, we can't figure it out. Why didn't it bring peace when we, we, when we bombed Iraq? Why didn't it bring peace when, when we, the, the conflict spilled over into other countries? Why doesn't it ever seem to work when we bomb anywhere? Can't they see our power? Can't they see our strength? And can't they see the wisdom of our democracy and our, our republic and power and knowledge and strength in the age of enlightenment? And God goes on, or Paul goes on and says, For since the, in the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom did not know him. If you only understand wisdom the way that this world teaches wisdom, you will never know God. If you only understand power in the way that the power was described and handed to us, you will never understand God and what he is up to. And it's not just us. It's it's from the Egyptians, from Babylon, from the Medo-Persians to the Assyrians and the Greeks and the Romans. And now in us, in our world, the world, the way that power has been understood ever since Cain rose up and killed his brother, if that's the way that you know power, and that's the way you know wisdom, then you will never know God. You'll never see God. But through an event that on the surface seems so weak, through an event that on the surface and in the world's way of seeing power and wisdom seemed to speak defeat on the on the surface this event that seems so foolish for someone to have to endure when they claim to be the son of god when they claim to be the unveiling Of the creator, when they claim to be the visible image of the invisible God, Paul says this event is what we have been telling everyone about. This is the way to know God. This is the way to know his salvation. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. The world called it foolish, the world called it silly, the world missed it and didn't didn't understand what was going on in the cross. But God chose that quote unquote foolishness to save those who believe but Paul what was that message what was the foolishness that you preached to everybody Paul said we preach Christ crucified this is what power looks like this is what wisdom looks like it is power leveraged for others it is power that lays itself down for the benefit of others It is power that lifted the weight of sin off of our shoulders and gave us a new future. It is power that came to the hopeless and made a way when there seemed there could be no way. When we thought hope was lost, that is what power looks like. And it happened on the cross. It did not happen at the empty tomb. It happened when he showed us the love and the power of God that was for us. It was for us. On the cross, Jesus is saying, This is what happens when your kind of power is in charge. I'm innocent, and this is what happens when your kind of power is running the show. I'm innocent, and I'm hanging here, murdered without cause without truth being spoken, but this is what the enemy of your soul has twisted wisdom and power into. It was a shame that they had crucified a healer. It was a scandal that they murdered the one who fed the hungry. It was a disgrace that they silenced the only voice that was offering grace to the sinners. Jesus put them to shame. And Paul said when it happened, it was a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to the religious people who were expecting God to flex his muscles like the rulers of this world flex their muscles. Christ on a cross tripped them up. Because you don't win by losing. Hello. You don't gain victory by surrendering. You don't give eternal life by dying. You don't overthrow evil by letting evil nail you to a cross. So so Pilate, take down that sign. That's not our king. We have, at one point, they said, we have no king but Caesar. They gave up on God and ran to Caesar. Because we don't know God through our own wisdom. And then to Pilate. And the Romans and the Gentiles, to the irreligious, to the ones running the show, the, one, the world powers who conquer and subdue. How foolish to suffer at the hand of someone else. How foolish to forgive an enemy. How foolish to offer your cheek after they've just slapped the other cheek. And then Paul introduces something about the grace and the mercies of God so beautiful. He says, but to those whom God has called... Does anybody remember what it was like when you felt God calling you? Does anybody remember what it's like when you first began to believe that there might be hope for you with God? Does anybody remember being at the end of yourself? being at the end maybe of your own rope, a mess of your own making and hearing this this voice, feeling this tug on your heart that brought you close. Does anybody remember that we were enemies of God yet to the Jews, to the Greeks, to the weak, to the outside, the Jews who were tripping and the Greeks who were slipping, to all of us who were broken and in our own mess. Do you remember the power and the wisdom of God that called us to the foot of a cross. Do you remember when we felt hopeless? When we wonder what life was all about? Why was I even born? I'm not even contributing anything here. After I close my eyes for the last time, will my life even matter? There's no value that we can give to ourselves. There is no worth that we can give to ourselves. But on the cross, Jesus Christ has shown the power and the wisdom of God and given us a worth. To those who rejected him, he's calling. To those who have denied him, he is calling. To those who have been embarrassed of him, he is calling. Oh, come on, lift up your voices and give him praise and thanks this morning. Oh, to the tired, he's calling. To the lonely, he's calling. To the scared, he's calling. To the guilty, he is calling. To the hopeless and the drifting, God is calling. But it doesn't look like maybe you thought it would look. It does not appear as maybe we imagined God to appear. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ. The power of God and the wisdom of God. The power of God, the wisdom of God. Come on, can you lift up your hands right now? Christ, the power of God. It's a different kind of power, Jesus. The wisdom of God. Lord, you were so many moves ahead of the enemy. So many moves ahead of the enemy. Power of God. Wisdom of God. And a few days before Easter morning, the Son of God, the Word of God from the beginning who became like us because He loved us, was beaten and whipped by soldiers who were flexing the power The wisdom of Rome. He was spit on and he was openly humiliated. He was led through the streets in a scarlet robe, mocking his royalty, carrying a cross until he could carry it no more. And they compelled Joseph to carry it up to the top of a hill, and the cross was thrown on the ground. And they stripped him naked, left him completely and utterly exposed, and laid him stretched out on that cross. His back was bloody. His back was shredded to ribbons of flesh, and his breath was coming in wet and blood-spraying gasps. And they took crude Roman nails of iron and hammers, and they pounded those nails through his hands and through his feet. And they raised him into the air suspended between heaven and earth, and they dropped the cross into the ground with a thud. Christ crucified. The wisdom of God, the power of God. Come on, can you worship him this morning? Come on, I feel the presence of the Lord in this room. Wherever you are, could you bow your head, close your eyes right now. Come on, can you honor him in your mind with your words? And then power spoke, and then wisdom spoke, and what he said was, Father, forgive them. They don't get it, Father. They don't understand. They're judging power by the old standard. They're judging wisdom by what they've always known. They know not what they do, and as I see Jesus hanging there, pinned to the cross by nails, and As I understand that he is taking my place. As I hear the news that Paul preached that he has died to provide a perfect covering for my sins. As I hear that the blood that ran down his body and dripped to the ground is such innocent and perfect and and beautiful blood. That the God of all creation has cried enough that no one should ever have to suffer the penalty again for their sins. This one death is enough to satisfy justice for all time. And as I hear that he loved me, and he gave himself for me, I feel the pool of a different kind of power. There is a different force that is moving me closer and closer to the cross. There was a gravity there. There was an attraction there to Jesus that I can't look away. And when I see him, When I see him, my heart is full. Hope is reborn in me, and the weight of my sins falls away. There was a pull, and there was an attraction, there was a power to someone who loves me so, so much. Love on display. Love unlike any other love that you will ever find. It's an unconditional love displayed on the cross. It is a saving love. It is a love that speaks worth and value into your life. That if he died for you, then he must be for you. That if he died for you to save you in the middle of your life and not just at the end of your life, that there must be something that he wants you to do with the rest of your life. Why else would he give himself for you? Why else would he die and he gives a worth and he speaks a destiny and he speaks purpose onto our lives that we can't find anywhere else? Surely, surely we can trust someone that loves us that much. Surely we can trust someone that loves us that much. And without ever firing one bullet, without ever swinging one sword or dropping one bomb, he's conquered my heart. He's won me. He's won me. He's taken my heart. He's become the king of who I am, the king of my life. Because it turns out he's a different kind of king with a different kind of power. He has captured my affections and I love him deeply. I love him deeply. The power of God, the wisdom of God. Come on, can you talk to him again this morning? Come on, close your eyes. Come on, bow your head at the foot of the cross. Bow your head at the foot of the cross. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Can we all stand this morning? I have a few more comments, but I think that this is where God wants us to stop and just consider him. All over this room this morning, would you just just join me for a little bit? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes this morning? Come on, bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Would you just see Jesus? Come on, can you see the cross in your mind? Can you see the cross in front of you? And I wonder, I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you see the cross of Jesus? How much value do you give the cross of Jesus? Was it just an unfortunate twist in the tail of a good person? Or was it the decisive moment in a campaign to win your heart? Have you acknowledged the cross? Have you come to the foot of the cross and brought your past and brought your brokenness and brought your wisdom and your way of doing life before? And have you left it there? And have you asked him to fill your life with his power and wisdom Have you closed your eyes before today and gazed in wonder and yet horror, but yet such a beautiful attraction at Jesus who loved us and who gave himself for us? Can we do that right now? Come on, can you speak to him while he's there on that cross? Keep your eyes closed. Come on, see him there this morning. See him there this morning.